Hello my wonderful quiet rebels, it's Mika here and before we jump into today's episode I am so excited to let you know that this episode is brought to you by my ultimate podcast guesting workshop series. So if you would like to be able to book yourself onto a lined podcast to grow your business, make deeper connections and increase your impact, this is the workshop series for you. It follows my Pitch With Purpose framework, which is a three-stage holistic framework to see the whole process of podcast guesting so that way you can really integrate this process into your business for the long haul. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to the show notes or go to www.makeathang.com forward slash UPG. And just on a quick side note, this one is a little bit time sensitive in the fact that it is an evergreen workshop series, but there are some live bonuses that happened every now and then. And I do plan on offering a couple of live group calls in December of 2021. So if you are interested in joining, I invite you to consider very soon if you want to jump onto those calls with me. Because here's the thing, When it comes to Black Friday, I am not a discount kind of person. I bear no judgment on those who do. I personally don't resonate with that idea. And I also promised my audience that I will never discount um, this workshop series, you know, because of something like that. Because if I was someone who bought something and then later on I saw it discounted, I'd feel a bit, "Mm, okay. (laughs) But that's just my preference. So I just thought to let you know that this workshop series is available all year round and for however long I choose to keep it on the, 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 the tongue twister, the digital shelf, but there are some live bonuses that I do anticipate on running in December of 2021. So if you aren't interested in learning more or joining for those calls and more, because I've got some super excited things happening in 2022, I invite you to join as like, yeah, when it suits you. So go to www.makingsound.com forward slash UPG or you can go to the link in the show notes so you don't have to remember that URL and I hope to see you on the inside. But other than that, back to the show. Hello my lovelies, this is Mei Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful quiet rebels. Oh, today's topic is something I'm never going to get bored of (laughs) because it's something that just seems to kind of approach us as we keep growing in our businesses. When we've reached like a new income goal, when we've reached like just a certain status, let's just say, like the, the magical six figures or something like that, raising our prices is just a natural part of the process as a business owner. But the thing is, a lot of the time we are told like very, I call them pendulum 
<laughs> advice is like it's either one end or the other one end is charge what you're worth like I've heard that piece of advice time and time and time again and then we've got the other side that you know is purely strategic it's like okay you know think about your running costs and any overheads and all the things so that that way you can reverse engineer how much you need to charge in order for you to you know make a good living but sometimes I feel like both sides is pretty much missing a piece of the other. And that's why I have a wonderful guest today who's going to be speaking with us how she approaches raising her prices that actually take into account our beliefs, our feelings, our actions, our values, and of course, our business needs. And we're really going to go a little bit more deeper than that because when I was having this conversation with this amazing human, She was also taking into account the limiting beliefs that may have been formed, including things like generational trauma, poverty, maybe even immigration. And those things are pretty scary. And so that's why we really want to have a step-by-step, really approachable approach, (laughs) let's just say, to raising one's prices. So please join me in welcoming the wonderful Jennifer Dwan Fox. Hi, thanks for having me today. Yes. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like we need to tell the story of how we met. So, yes. <laughs> um, so could you tell us the wonderful human who actually connected us during a very, I'd say a pretty pivotal time in 2021? Yeah. So March and April, 2021, kind of a terrible time to be an Asian woman in America. Not great. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you had posted, um, about your Asian business directory, um, project and then a mutual, um, friend of ours, Kirsty Fanton tagged me in that post and I went and looked at it and then I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's an Asian copywriter. Oh my gosh. I didn't know they existed. <laughs> I think a lot of the Asian American business owners that I know tend to be like the design side, web design, graphic design, that sort of thing. That's just maybe does just kind of the circles that I ran in, but I didn't know anyone who made their living with words. And so I was like, yay, another person like me, Um, which has kind of been like my entire, like my entire general business quest for the last two or three years was finding people who had some of the same experiences that I did as an Asian American woman, um, people that I didn't have to explain like certain parts of my experience to. um, Because when I started my business, I, well, I want to, I should say when I started this business, um, I kind of channeled the whole like white mommy lifestyle blogger thing which doesn't work for multiple reasons. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't have an Instagrammable lifestyle. I don't want one. Um, and I'm not a white blogger mommy. And it really wasn't until I started looking for other Asian American creatives, other Asian American business owners that I really came into my own identity and started talking about entrepreneurship from my own perspective, not despite my own perspective, if that Mm. makes sense. Um, And that is really when my business and my brand got traction. Um, So that was kind of a long answer to your question, but it was more like, yay, another one, another like me, somebody else like me. Yeah. And I love that you call yourself like, you know, the the chief executive auntie, because um, (laughs) I mean, in, um, I know for a fact in East Asian culture, I can't speak for any other culture 
um but i know for in east asian culture any 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 person who is a woman uh you know who's even if they're not related we still call them auntie and <laughs> and any man who like you know who talks to us and then like obviously they're a friend of a friend or, or someone we call them uncle and so i just love that you really own that because i was like oh my god <laughs> It's something that I can feel I can relate to. And I know that feeling that you have when like, oh my God, there's someone who's like me. And around that time, it is honestly, it's a shame that it had to take a true tragedy in order to raise awareness for how how few people are actually speaking about this. And I realized that, oh, I really want to find more find more Asian people, find more Asian entrepreneurs. And that goes for all Asians, by the way. And that's why, you know, I'm making the Asian online business directory because whenever I see a summit or a podcast or an event or just something, a panel even, and I see no other Asian up there, it makes me really sad. It makes me really disappointed. And that's the reason why that directory is in the makings because it's taken a lot longer than I thought <laughs> to make it because I know that I actually started that project a couple of months ago. But the degree of back and forth and the vetting of the applications has really, you know, we really want to make sure that whoever is on this list is someone who we really want to do our best to advocate for. So at the time of this recording, it is not ready, but actually by the time this recording is published, maybe it's going to be ready. So check the link in the show notes just to see. <laughs> um, if it's not available that yet, then I will pop the link. But anyway, what I loved about your website as well, Jennifer, and this is when I knew that you were my kind of person, right? And vice versa, is when I scrolled down on your homepage, I saw a gif of Shang from Mulan. <laughs> and it's when he's singing the song like, uh, make a man out of you and there's the first line like let's get down to business and I was like oh my god this is so smart <laughs> and I have a post on my Instagram all about Mulan and like the message that she's bringing to the world and all that stuff so I just thought it was a matchmaking heaven <laughs> meant to be exactly so Jennifer I have to ask you like what really brought you to this point so you, you shared a little bit about your background but I really want to kind of like dive into why you are focused, especially helping um, Asian entrepreneurs, other BIPOC freelancers to earn more money and leveraging their identity and struggles as an asset and not a hindrance. So I have to know, like, please tell us. <laughs> yeah. So going back a little bit in time, my professional training is as a high school biology teacher and pretty, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, which is not a hub of Asian American population. <laughs> and so pretty much my whole life, you know, I have been one of the few people in the room who looks like me and has my experiences. And I fortunately or unfortunately, I did have, you know, I had an immigrant Asian community to be part of growing up, but it was very separate from it was very separate from sort of what I thought of as my real life. You know, I had Chinese school and then regular school. And and I think that caused me to sort of internalize the idea that Asian media, Asian movies, Asian, you know, just the Asian perspective was not as good as the mainstream white American perspective. And I kind of had a moment um, 
this was a few years ago, where I was pitching, I was, I was doing a little bit more pitching of freelance writing. And I, somebody suggested that I pitch to an Asian American publication. And I was like, oh, that feels like a step down from some of my other goals. And then I realized, well, why is that a step down? Like, this is a, the story that I want to tell is specifically about my Asian American experience. Like, why, why do I automatically assume that that is something less than something that would get published in a quote unquote bigger publication? So that was kind of a, that was kind of a, you know, aha moment for me. Like, why do I feel this way about, you know, a very core part of my identity? And also along with that, um, becoming a parent to a multiracial Asian child um, really kind of made me realize that how disconnected I had become from my identity as an Asian American. Um, and I, I hear that, I hear that a lot from, from my other friends who are parents. And so I wanted to reconnect with that. And um, also becoming a parent was the motivation for me becoming an entrepreneur in the first place. Um, I had enjoyed my teaching career and I was, you know, from what I could tell, relatively good at it. Uh, but it was really demanding. And I, I didn't think that I could be the kind of parent and the kind of teacher that I wanted to be at the same time. So um, after my child was born, I looked into, um, you know, I looked into starting my own business and kind of being able to have that flexibility um, that I wasn't going to get from a, from a standard teaching job, which everyone always thinks that teachers have a lot of flexibility. And that is totally not true. Cause they're like, Oh, you get the oh, whole no, summers no, no. off. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. The other nine months of the year where it is harder to prepare for a sub for a substitute teacher than it is to just drag myself in and do it myself. But anyway, that's, that's a little bit of a tangent. Um, <laughs> and I've kind of lost the thread of this a little bit. Um, entrepreneur, uh, you know, as a parent reconnecting. Yeah. So, um, so I was kind of going through this whole like identity finding process, yeah. I suppose. Exploration. Exploration yeah. um, especially with the 2016 U S presidential election, I was like, holy shit, I'm going to be raising an Asian child in this, in this America. What, what do I do? Um, and yeah, so I went through a period of identity exploration. Um, 2019, I started, uh, I did this year of Asian reading challenge where I did nothing, where I read nothing but, uh, nothing but books by Asian and Asian American authors, which was great. I loved it. Ooh. I thought I was going to have a really hard time finding these books, but I just needed to look. I just had never thought to look before. And then I was like, oh, these are Asian American writers. These are Asian American authors, and they're doing the thing that I want to be doing. Um, and the only time I had to break this streak of reading Asian American writers was when I wanted to read about business. There was nothing out there. Everything, all of the business and branding and marketing books that I picked up were by white authors. And it's not as if, you know, branding for Asians is necessarily any different, but it just made me wonder like, huh, why aren't there books by Asian Americans in the entrepreneurial space? Um, is it because there are fewer Asian American entrepreneurs? Is it because we don't get published as frequently? It's probably all of those things, but um, 
as is my habit, when I cannot find something that I want, I make my own. <laughs> <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> I want to see it. I create it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's maybe not the most efficient way to go through life, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I couldn't find, I couldn't find these resources by Asian Americans. I couldn't, you know, I, I was in, um, a Facebook group called Asian Creative Network. And I just like threw a question, I just threw a post up one day, like, what questions do you have about business? Because at that point, I had been kind of running my own business for, you know, two years or so. And I was just curious, I was like, hey, you know, for those of you who are just starting out, what is it that you want to know? And I got the standard, like, how do I set my prices? How do I get clients if I don't have a portfolio? But I also got questions like, how do I get writing clients if I have a non-English sounding name and my clients and people assume that I can't speak English? And I was like, mm. nobody's talking about this, right? There's there, Again, there's plenty of advice on how to get clients and how to raise your prices and how to do all these things. But nobody talks about people can't pronounce my name and they think I can't write in English. Um or, you know, how do I tell my parents that I'm not going to go to law school after all? And just these these topics that nobody else was talking about. So I was like, okay, I guess this is my niche. And, you know, I, I started writing about just just my own experience, really, because I don't, you know, my parents were not the stereotypical, like, tiger parents putting a lot of pressure <laughs> on me to do a certain thing. But they did have a very, like linear perspective. Like first you graduate high school, then you go to college, then you graduate college, then you get a job and you work that job for 40 years. And that provides security and safety and prosperity for your family. And that is just how it goes. And there wasn't a lot of room for wandering or divergence. And I wandered a lot in my twenties. Um, you know, I, I, I finished my first, I, I did my master's degree. I finished my first year of teaching and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this or not. Um, which I feel like is n- not very commonly expressed within the children of immigrants. <laughs> Cause it's just mm. like, no, you have a set path and you follow the path and you just, you just do the thing. Yep. Um, because that's what our parents did when they came over, whether it was for school or just, you know, as refugees, whatever it was, they just did the things they needed to do to survive. And they didn't have the privilege of questioning and wandering and making mistakes. And I do. And, and so I did. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Because I think about that a lot of the time when I think of, you know, raising my own children in the future. And I think to my parents and I never blame them for anything because I think to myself, okay, like you said, they didn't have the privilege. They didn't have the resources available to be able to kind of explore things like developing, you know, their emotional intelligence, for example, like they, they've, they've got it down when it comes to, you know, the skills to make money and run their own businesses. Cause they, they, they have a brick and mortar business. Like, Chinese takeaway or Chinese restaurant. That's always that most of the time. <laughs> that, that seems to be what they have. And um, and I think to myself, okay, that's all they've known. No wonder why they're not uber supportive of this whole online business thing, because it's completely new to them. They're like, 
what you can make money from your laptop that's that's so strange and then I think to myself okay it's because it's new it's because it's new Mm -hmm. they don't know they don't they actually don't know any about it so right this is something they could never imagine like yeah my my mother grew up with actually probably both my parents grew up with like pit toilets in taiwan and now and i'm like hi i can make money over a computer (laughs) and they're like yeah i I have Um, i have been to where my mom actually grew up and i kid you not there was no door it was like a, a stone it was like a stone house. The it is when you go in, it's like a rag that covers the front door, basically the hole in the front door. And then there was like cement um, table, cement chairs, and I was like, oh my goodness! And so to think that you know, my parents came over to the UK, and then they know how to, you know, drive a car. They can operate a phone, and it just it just baffles me. So it just makes me think, okay. You you like set the roots here so that I could have more than you ever had. This is the more. This is the part that's more that you don't know about. And then my kids and the next generation, next generation, they're gonna have things that we never even dreamed of having mm-hmm. or experiencing. And so I just think that's important to acknowledge. Yeah. And I, you know, I hear from children of immigrants who are like, oh my gosh, my parents are so unsupportive. They hate what I'm doing. And I'm like, I I don't it, you know. And not to discount true, you know, truly abusive and truly negligent things that happen in immigrant families, but they just don't know. They're not, I think in many, many, many cases, our parents are not actively trying to tear us down. They just don't understand. And yeah. they just want us to be safe. And in their mind, you know, my grandmother, functionally illiterate turned it around in one generation. How? Education. That's the only way, that's the only thing that they understand is like, you go to school, you get a degree, you get a better job, like, boom, that's it. And they don't realize, hey, there are other, there are other paths and other possibilities that you can take to get to a similar destination of safety, security, happiness. Um, and, and, and so you just, you know, if you're going to have that conversation, that's the part you need to come in prepared for. They're not going to understand I need fulfillment. They're going to understand, hey, mom and dad, this is my plan for making enough money to buy my own health insurance and buy a house and have security. Like that's what they understand. Um, And they don't want you to be unhappy, but they just have a different concept of what that means. Absolutely. And I'm really glad that we spoke in pretty great length into this. And I'm curious that when you start to see these questions in this Asian creative Facebook group, um, like how did you like start to turn that around and like really start to speak to these people? And actually, how does this even connect to um, what we're talking about today about raising our prices? And how do you think that all of these like thoughts and feelings and experiences actually affect how we see ourselves and what our services are, you know, valued at. Well, and I, I started reflecting kind of on my own experience with pricing and my arguably first business was a photography business. And I was, and I ran that business based basically on what I thought my parents would pay for photography, which is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I was like, well, this is probably what a lot of people are doing. Like, we, you know, we get all these ideas about money into our heads, especially if we have immigrant parents who, for them, you know, saving 50 cents is just 
is something that they do as a buffer in to to get a little bit of buffer in their life. Like, and we're, when we think, oh, 50 cents, that's not a lot of money, but the idea of saving and frugality like that for them was the line between food on the table tonight and not food on the table tonight. Like they didn't have as much margin as we do. And so we get these things in our heads like, oh, we have to save as much money as possible. I have to run my business, you know, as lean as possible. I can't charge too much because then nobody is going to book and book me. Um, all of these things that come to us, you know, that are passed down to us from our parents. And this was just based on my own experience, you know, and I don't pretend to speak for all Asian Americans because there are many different, there are many, many, many different Asian American experiences. Um, but I think there are enough common threads um, that you can that you can think you can start to see patterns of like, oh, you know, I'm afraid to raise my prices because I think nobody will pay this, or I'm afraid to hire a VA because I just I feel like I need to just like hoard all of my money when in reality, you know, hiring someone to do twenty dollar an hour work frees me up to go do three hundred dollar an hour work, and it you know that just that sort of mindset shift that needs to happen and kind of coming out of that really intense scarcity mindset that I think happens to a lot of people. Again, you know, I was never poor growing up. Like my, you know, my parents have worked white collar professional jobs the entire time they've been in the United States, but that's not how they grew up. And so they brought their habits from their childhood with pit toilets and too many siblings and like they brought oh, yeah. their habits yeah. <laughs> they brought their habits into raising me and even though they didn't need them anymore mm-hmm. and then as an adult I start to I start to do some of those same habits and then I'm like wait a minute I don't need to do it this way um because that scarcity that pressure is no longer there there's different pressures you know as an Asian American compared to being an Asian immigrant but um those precise pressures are not here anymore. And so I don't have to, I don't have to behave as if those pressures are still on me. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I feel all of this. And when you said too many siblings, I I couldn't help but laugh because um, my, my mom's from a family. She's a one of nine children. And, and she, she always says, Oh yeah, but granny has no stretch marks. I'm like, that's that's great. She's a super fit granny and wonderful. Um, oh, but yeah, I can see this kind of this a transition and a a release of beliefs that could have happened, but it it seems like it stayed with them, even though that their environment changed and you know their their professions change. And so, do you feel like you've had to do a lot of unlearning? Like, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> like in my business, in my parenting, in my marriage, like basically everything is just unlearning a little bit so that there is room to relearn, to relearn things that serve me. And again, like it it took me a while to get here because I think I used to be very angry and resentful of my parents for behaving this way. But then as I got older, I realized, okay, this behavior did serve them at some point in their life. They just held on to it maybe longer than they needed to. And same thing with me, like, cause I, I feel like I have, I have changed my perspective on many, many, many things in life. And sometimes I get down on my past self for believing or behaving a certain way. And then I'm like, you know what? 
that served me in that point in my life based on what I had and what I knew and what I needed to get through. Like that did have a function. And so I can, I can thank my past self for getting through that. And I can, I can thank that version of me for doing a good job because we're here today and it's okay. And lots and lots of therapy was helpful for that, (laughs) but you know, good job past self. You did the best you could with what you had. Good Mm -hmm. job to my parents 40 years ago. You did the best you could with what you had and you did a really good job. Like true. Like I don't mean that sarcastically, like truly good job. Um, And I think like that's been important for me too, to just not get, super nag on myself (laughs) or my parents and to just give yourself grace for what you've been through as well I think um, a lot of self-forgiveness needs to happen Um, and my therapist also helped me unlearn and unpack a lot of things I never knew existed it's kind of like the analogy I keep using is um unpacking right so I literally think of like an attic full of boxes and I'm trying to move house but I can't unless I know what is in these boxes and it's like oh like more boxes just keep appearing like oh I didn't know that (laughs) these were here but I need to unpack it to know what's inside and to know whether to release it or keep it and um that just happens more and more and more and I would love to hear like how you've really managed to work with yourself and how this has this release and this unlearning has helped you to be able to kind of like charge what your work is worth in a way that is, you know, still profitable for your business, but still doesn't feel like you're kind of like betraying your past self, your past beliefs and honoring that instead. So how has that worked for you finding that balance? Yeah, I think because of my parents' like very methodical frugality, um, I always took a very, I always did take a very practical approach to my business for which I'm really grateful. I have never had to borrow money from other people or from myself. Like I always have had this rule that whatever happens, my business has to pay for itself. I have to make enough money to at least cover my expenses, um, which I did not do in my first business. And when I finally ran my numbers, I was like, oh, huh, I'm paying people to let me take their picture. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Do not recommend. Um, So I've always had a very like practical approach to the numbers of my business. Like, how much am I making? How much am I spending? And then is that difference a positive number? If it is, great. Um, but I didn't have a, I didn't really know how to move beyond that sort of very nuts and bolts style of managing my business money. Um, and it kind of had me trapped in the sense of like, well, something is better than nothing. So I'm gonna go ahead and take for this project when I know it's going to take me like $1,000 worth of time because I'd rather have the 500 than nothing Um, because it was all about like the bottom line of like how much am I making? How much am I spending? I need to get more in the revenue column. This is how I will do it. And so I would undercut myself and think, you know, again, thinking something is better than nothing. And it really took becoming a parent, I think, was kind of the linchpin moment for me. Because then I was like, oh, my time has a cost. My time has a financial cost because I need to pay for someone to care for my child while I am doing work. Um, And my time has an energetic cost because I am 
working on something and not spending time with my kid, um, not taking care of my house, like not doing any variety of things. And then I realized, okay, so my time really does have value and it's not just minimum wage or whatever I was making in my teaching job because in my teaching job, um, you know, I had insurance, I had benefits, I did not have non-billable time, which I can talk about more here in a little bit, but like I got paid for every hour that I worked. I didn't get paid a lot for every hour that I worked, but you know, the shift from employee to business owner, you know, it took, I had to realize like, okay, my time has a cost and therefore my time has a value that goes beyond just get as much money as possible, even if it takes me 10 hours to earn $200. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, when I, when I realized that I had kind of like a cap on my time. And so I was like, okay. So I started thinking about, well, what do I need to charge to make it worth not just the cost of childcare, but, you know, being away from my child and being unavailable for my family, for myself, um, and thinking about it in terms of, okay, well, the client is paying me to do something, but they're also paying me to not do all these other things. And how much, how much is it worth for me to not do any, all of these other things that I maybe want to be doing instead. So, um, kind of changing the mindset of like, oh, I'm getting paid to do something. I'm also getting paid to not do something. (laughs) Okay. So I'm really starting to see, you know, that you're starting to factor the things that you have to pay for in your life and, you know, realizing, okay, what I'm currently charging is really not going to cut it at this point. Um, As soon as you said uh, 10 hours, $200, I thought, oh yeah, that really isn't a lot and um I, I just think back to the days when i i got paid five pounds and five pence per hour when i was like i don't know um between 18 and 22 that's when i still worked as a barista and i, I remember my manager at the time she was so proud to say oh but we pay above minimum wage so the minimum wage at the time was five pounds three pence so it's an extra two pence oh but we pay more it's five pound five and I was like my goodness and I actually I have kept some pay slips I've had from back in the day because it reminds me of how far I've come and how like oh okay yeah my value has really shifted and I'm curious to hear from you as well as factoring in your own living costs like how much you need to even stay afloat and put food on the table have your child care for and your house taken care of etc um where do you stop focusing on your needs and also meeting where your clients are at as well? Yeah, that's a really, really good question and something that has shifted for me over the years. So once I kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, I need to be charging, you know, $90 an hour, $150 an hour, like whatever it is, I used to think like, all right, those are my prices. And if they can't afford them, that's too bad. Um, And I've softened that a little bit, especially because I've been talking with some of um, some of my some people in my courses and things that and people that I've met online who are doing, you know, DEI work or they are working, you know, providing creative or artistic services. And it's like, well, should only wealthy people have access to those things? And, you know, as I think about it, I'm like, oh, actually, no, I don't I don't believe that. And so. Um, what I have done is I have sort of 
a couple like buckets in my business. I don't do sliding scale, but what I have is like certain types of work that are, you know, bread and butter, soy sauce and rice type work where it's like, this pays the bills. I'm trying to shift, trying to shift from bread and butter to soy sauce and rice. I'm trying to make it a thing. <laughs> I love it. I was like, oh, soy sauce and rice. That, yeah. I had like that I have work that pays well, is, is directed toward and suitable for, you know, mature business owners who have more to invest. Like there's that column of work. And then there's the column of like, business education and resources, sometimes free resources for folks who are just starting out. And the first column helps to subsidize the second column. And so it all balances out for me, but mm -hmm. I real but I I ha I let the people who have more resources help pay for the people who don't have as many resources. And I'm in control oh. of that because I control my pricing. Um, and you know, and, and that, put, you know, that takes the pressure off of me because I'm like, okay, I can serve, I can serve both groups and in a way that does not deplete me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a big thing that I've been thinking about, you know, pretty much since I became a parent, but especially lately, just like, because I hear people like, oh, you know, I would just want to help as many people as possible. And I, that's great. And I love that. But if you go out of business because you are not charging enough or because yeah. you have to go because you're not charging enough and so you need to go get a side job to make ends meet, that doesn't help anyone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. You know, you have, you know, and I speaking especially to women of color, like you have something extremely unique to offer. And your first responsibility is to protect your capacity to do that. And I know that's really hard because we're conditioned to help everybody else first. But, you know, the whole put your own oxygen mask on first, like, it's true. It it's is. true. If you, if you keep giving stuff away for free, if you keep undercharging yourself, you're either going to burn yourself out or just like numbers wise, your business is not going to work anymore. And you're going to have to leave. You're going to have to exit. Your, your gifts will have to exit you know, the marketplace and what a shame that would be. Um, and so, you know, that's why I talk about pricing in terms of like, you have to make it work for you first. And then you can think about how to make it work for people with fewer resources. Like there's sliding scale, there is, you can do a one-to-many type offer. You There's other ways to scale and still have that impact. Um, but if you don't, if you can't make the numbers, at least the numbers work for you, much less the time and the energy and all those other things. Like if you can't make that work for you, then all of that is going to go out the window eventually. And so, you know, I, and now, now I realize like, you know, my number one duty to myself, to my business, to my family is to protect my own capacity. Um, and a lot of that is, has, for me has been figuring out what are the things that I specifically need to do? And what are the things that can be outsourced to other people who have expertise yes, in that's these things? Important. <laughs> um, and I, and that's everything from like, you know, hiring a VA to, you know, making things more convenient at home with, you know, housekeeper or lawn service or like other things. Like, what do I actually need to be doing myself? Like, and kind of understanding the distinction between those two. Mm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I love what you're saying here about it is true that um, I, I know many, many wonderful people who really do have that service 
heart. Like they really want to serve and help. And sometimes it is at their own expense of their capacity. And I love how you've managed in your business to kind of diversify your offers so that for those who have more resources to invest in your perhaps your one-on-one services and things like that, they give you enough breathing room to be able to create resources that are much more accessible to more people and who may not be in a position yet to work with you one-on-one. So I just love how you've made that work in your business. And for anyone who's listening right now, Jennifer, I'd love for you to kind of like, if there was just three steps that someone could take right now, like as we start wrapping up this interview, for how they can not just raise their prices, but really honor their prices based on their needs and not feeling like they're kind of because I actually do remember my mom saying to me once, like, oh, aren't you ripping off people? <laughs> and because, like, when I first told her my VIP day, she, again, like, VIP day, the whole concept of it is is completely new to her. She's like, but, oh, my gosh. Because when I told her that how much I can earn in one VIP day is basically her three months of a wage, it's like, wow. And then I think it's also that point that she also started to see, like, oh, okay, Make it is running a legitimate business if she's able to do that and have clients consistently pay her that as well. So that's just a side story. But anyway, for someone who's listening who really wants to kind of like just get started with having their prices actually align with their needs and their values and also, you know, the current place that they occupy in the marketplace, where can they get started? I think the most important thing is to dig into your values first, because I think there's a lot of like, oh, just raise your prices 300% and charge this much. And if you build it, they will come, which is nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) I think when people start with like, just kind of pulling their prices up by the bootstrap, so to speak, like the minute that a client goes, oh, it costs that much. They're going to be like, oh, no, just kidding. I actually, you know, I can do it for this much. Yes, they retract, they backpedal. And so I think really digging into your values first um, kind of grounds you before you start to make any of those changes. And I, you know, in my pricing course, we start by saying, we start by thinking about what does money from your business even do for you? Because that's different for everybody. For some people, it pays all of their bills. For me, I, my focus is on making a certain amount of money in a certain amount of time. The time piece really matters for me because I don't want to work 40 hours a week. I have a five-year-old who's about to start kindergarten. Like I want to be available and I want to be flexible. And so, and that's different for everybody. Some people want to make, you know, some, some people want to make as much money as they can. Some people value that flexibility. Like what is it that your business does for you? Some people, their business pays for, you know, pays for their travel in post-COVID times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, COVID's um, always going to be around, but in a yeah. more manageable... Yes, in a more manageable post, yes, post-pandemic yes. era. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think really digging into what that money does for you will help you make any subsequent decisions in a more clear-eyed, um, in a more clear-eyed manner. So you, you rethink about, okay... This is what the money does for me. And then and then you crunch your numbers. Then you look at your expenses, your cost of living, your cost of business. Um, it sounds kind of funny, but I'm like, but I have to sometimes remind people like, you need to charge enough to keep you alive. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's like, like that. that. <laughs> yes, yeah, like that's why I pull cost of living in there because it's like 
you know, this is your job, even if it's a part-time job and it has to cover your time. And so your time, like if you look at your cost of living, there is, if you think about it, a cost of keeping you alive and you have to at least cover that and your cost of doing business. So you look at your values, you crunch your numbers and then, um, and then, and then you, and that's when you start to set goals like, okay, so I want to make this much money per month in this many hours. Again, I think the time piece is something that people forget about. They're like, oh yeah, I, I, I want to make $5,000. Like you want to make $5,000 in 80 hours or in 20 hours. Mm. Um, it's a big difference. Um, and then I think the final thing that you, you know, is that and then you then you set your goals based on your values and based on your actual expenses. Then you look at okay, well, what are my income goals? And you do some more math, and some of it is very fuzzy math, and that's okay because there's a piece of it that's there. People are not just paying for your time, right? They're paying for your expertise. They're paying for the convenience that having you do it saves them, um, and they value their time differently. They may value their time differently than you. Um, so it's not just the time you spend doing the work. It's also what value that work brings to the client. And there's no real formula for that necessarily. But it's I think that's a piece that sometimes people forget about. They're like, okay, well, it's going to take me five hours to create this logo. I'm going to bill for five hours. Like, well, that logo is going to provide brand recognition for this company for the next five, 10 years of its existence. Like, I think it's worth more than five hours <laughs> of your time, no matter what your hourly rate is. So anyway, um, yeah, that would, that would be my recommendation is to start in those, start in those values, look at your numbers, and then realizing that, you know, the actions that we take are driven by feelings. So when you backpedal from a price, what are you feeling? You are feeling afraid. You are maybe feeling guilty. <laughs> Aren't you ripping people off? Like you're hearing these oh things. Oh my gosh. Oh, you. my mom. Ah. <laughs> you know, yeah. there are these feelings, these emotions that are behind that backpedaling action or behind that. I don't want to raise my prices. Like well, identify the feelings behind that. And then behind the feelings, there are beliefs and beliefs like, People will not pay this much, or my work does not have value, or I am an imposter. Who am I to be charging this much? Like, what are those? What What are all those like the, those boxes in the attic, right? Like, what are all those <laughs> things that are telling you certain things about yourself and about the world, and they cause you to feel these feelings, and those feelings cause you to take actions. I think everyone focuses on the action part of like, yeah, just raise your prices, yeah, just build a website, yeah, just do all these things, but they don't they don't look at what's behind all of those things. And it's when you, and it, you know, I'll be the first to tell you after 10 years of therapy, it's really hard to just change your feelings and your beliefs yeah, on command. It takes, time. Um, it takes a lot of time. And ironically, what it takes is action. You act as if you believe something more constructive about yourself. You take a little action, whatever that is. And then you collect evidence based on the results of that action. Oh, okay. I can start to like, push this belief over this way. Then you take another action as if you believed something more positive and you collect more evidence and then it just kind of snowballs from there. Um, yeah, understanding that little triangle from, I think I learned that in cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to all my therapists uh, for helping me run my business better. Um, but yeah, like that that triangle, it 
I think we, again, we always focus on the action piece, but there's all this other stuff um, that is worth identifying and sitting with and understanding so that you can actually stick with the actions that you want to take. Okay. Okay. So I think that we have a lot to work with and I really appreciate that you, you know, you did speak about what drives the action in the first place, because I think a lot of the messaging out there is very forceful. Like, oh, just do it. Yeah. Like, just raise your prices or just no. I like how when you when you spoke about that, you you put on this this was like, oh, you just knew. <laughs> I just had this like very. Interesting that's how it sounds. That's how I read that. I read those posts in my head with that voice. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Anyway, um, I know that we have a lot to work with. So thank you so much for just like coming in and sharing your experiences because it's one thing to teach something, but it's also important to share like what's gotten you to this point. And I think this interview is one of the very few on this podcast that has gone deep into like the beginnings of where it all started really and touching on you know being a child of an immigrant as I am as well so I just want to say thank you for just being open to sharing this with us yeah I'm a pretty open book with this stuff so (laughs) (laughs) awesome so for anyone who wants to stay further connected with you and maybe let you know how they're getting on with raising their prices in a way that honors their values and their beliefs and all the things um so where can they go to find you uh, my website is chiefexecutiveanti.com. That's A-U-N-T-I-E. <laughs> I, I, I spell auntie like that too. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've got a, I've got a free um, rate calculator worksheet on there. I've got a couple other free resources. You can also download a sample um, of my pricing course. Um, I'll probably be running that again. It'll be 2022 for sure. <laughs> um, I just finished the first cohort and then probably we'll do another one in probably Q1 or Q2 of next year. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram. That's really the only social platform I'm particularly active on. Uh, again, at Chief Executive, Auntie or Auntie, depending on where you're from. <laughs> yeah, I just realized like, oh, you say Auntie and I say Auntie. <laughs> yeah. um, and okay. I post... I post um, helpful tips, very stupid reels of me trying to dance. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't and, love that? <laughs> yes. And just generally, generally sassy, but loving advice. <laughs> yes. Like our, like everyone's favorite aunt, auntie. Auntie, yes. here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you could say like auntie because um, uh, we'll just have our own way of saying things. But okay. So we've got your website, which has your um, rate calculator, which I'm interested in. Um, looking at as well and also your instagram so i'll be sure to pop all of those links into the show notes so thank you for letting us know and so before i let you go jennifer there's two final questions i have for you are you ready yep okay so number one i'd love to know what makes you a quiet rebel as a bit of a loud quiet rebel (laughs) but i think i think it's i think it's being loud about the things that most of at least American culture wants me to be quiet about Mm -hmm. Um, my identity as an Asian American woman, as the mother of a multiracial child. um, I was just talking to somebody about, uh, you know, why society, the many ways that society basically hates parents. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm very, and I'm, and I'm not quiet about those things. I'm very vocal about the challenges of being a parent and a business owner at the same time. I'm very vocal about, um, the challenges of being an Asian American woman, even, even with all the privileges that I do have, um, I'm vocal about my privileges, which also seems to be something that is hard for people to talk about. I think um, it's, I think it's important to acknowledge. One it, it, it's, it is really important. Um, and so that is my form of rebellion is by not being quiet, I guess. No, I, I love um, what you said though, that you're loud about the things that people are quiet about. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm actually, and I'm pretty quiet about some things that people are loud about. Like I don't, I don't share about my family or my kid on Instagram and I don't, I don't do the like very curated, polished feed thing because I don't have time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and I, and I take a diff, I take a, I take a quieter approach to sales, I think, than a lot of what I see out there. Um, I really believe that it's about, matching the right person with the right solution and if that solution is not mine that's okay i don't want you to buy i don't want anyone to buy something that doesn't work for them and if that means i don't have i don't get that sale that's okay um i have actually like told clients like hey you're not ready to work with me yet (laughs) like Mm. you're not ready you are not ready to spend this much money on me here's what you can do first. And then when your business grows to this point, let's talk again. Um, because it's not worth it to me to, you know, not force, but like take somebody's money, you know, deliver a result, but it's not going to work for them because their business is not at the, at the stage where it would make sense for them to have. And so, yes, um, important. not yeah, selling I think, prematurely. It sounds like, yeah, no, no, no. I, I think, I think my approach to sales is, different and probably quieter than a lot of people's so um yeah so that's that's my that's my quiet loud rebel (laughs) (laughs) loud quiet rebel story (laughs) love it thank you and we've got one final question and it's my favorite to ask every single guest who comes onto the show and that is this so my lovelies you know what's about to happen next if you have already listened to the show but if this is your first episode you picked a really good episode to start with first and foremost and basically when you hear the sound because you are our guest today i'd love to ask you what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet well this is hard because i do talk a lot about myself on the internet <laughs> Uh, oh boy, I have a story, but I'm not sure if I want to share it on the internet. <laughs> well, whichever you're comfortable. Okay, <laughs> I will omit specific. I will omit some details, but um, so I've actually talked about this probably on an old blog that thankfully no longer exists, um, but it's not there anymore. So I guess it's I guess it's news for anybody listening to this at this point. Um, my dad asked someone to take me to my senior prom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> because I had wanted to just ask a friend of mine to go with me, but he was already going with somebody else. And then I planned to just go with a group of girlfriends, which was, you know, which was socially acceptable and common and whatever. And then apparently my mom yacked to my dad 
about, I cannot believe I'm saying this on the internet. Apparently (laughs) my mom yacked to my dad about my crush who happened to (gasps) work for my dad in his (gasps) store at the time. And so my dad comes home from work one day and is like, okay, I did it. And I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I asked, name withheld, (laughs) (laughs) to take you to prom. And I was like, you did what? (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I think in my entire life, that is probably the moment when I most wanted to just disappear from the (laughs) face of the earth. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, We did end up going to prom together. It was very nice. Um, (laughs) We did not go out after that. (laughs) It just ended at prom and that's okay. (laughs) You had the experience. (laughs) I had the experience, yes. Um, So yeah, that's how bad I was at dating. My dad had to ask someone to go to prom with me. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, at least they didn't ask some random person that was actually yes, yes. Who did like <laughs> imagine it's like, oh, I have a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend whose son is your age. Or... Well, see, that's what my mother did to me later when I was in college. Was like, hey, a friend of a friend has a son who's going to be a doctor. Do you want to meet him? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that didn't go very well either. <laughs> well. I actually got out of going to my prom because it was actually on the weekend of my sister's wedding. So, and I didn't really want to go either. Too so, bad. So sad. Yeah, so I was like, oh. And because like the, the, the people who were selling tickets, they were really pushy as well. They were like, they're like oh, you come to prom? And I was like, sorry, it's my only sister's wedding. <laughs> and they're like, darn it. You have a legit reason. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for sharing that, that tidbit story with us. And don't worry, the name is withheld. So whoever it was <laughs> won't know. <laughs> but, well, he knows that he took me to prom. So I'm just going to be... Okay. <laughs> I don't think he follows me on social media. <laughs> I, I think you'll be safe. And plus, it's the very end of the interview. So unless he's paying that close attention... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Jennifer, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. And again, for anyone who wants to connect with you, I'll pop all of your links into the show notes so they can connect with you there. And yeah, just thank you for being here. Thank you so much. There we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Ah, oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.